Witches don't wear pointy hats and fly on broomsticks. They look like everyone else. They do? Yeah, you're describing a stereotype. Don't be a witchist. Hello, friends, colleagues, co-conspirators, and welcome to Witch Witches Witch, a pop culture podcast about ladies who use magic. I'm Derek. And I'm Regina. In each episode, we're going to compare all sorts of magic users from film, television, literature, and more, but not this episode. No, no, no. Uh, right now, we need to do a little bit of housekeeping to prep our audience as we go into the, the actual fun parts of the show, which will come later. You see, in order to help us quantify the witchiness of each of our prospective witches, we had to come up with a few parameters, uh, something to prove how witchy each witch could witch. What we landed on were our five irrefutable laws of witchiness. So the first law is that the witch in question identifies as female. Witch is a term that has been used historically and culturally specifically to label women who have power and women who have power that isn't necessarily derived from societal visions of what women normally have as far as power is concerned because women's roles usually are in relation to someone else, mothers, your sisters, your daughters, in general, until very recently and arguably not at all recently, women don't have a lot of power. And I think that part of a witch's mystique and a witch's, the fear that people have from witches often comes from how they are female. And so we decided that the first law is identifies as female because this also applies to trans or queer or gender fluid people who take on feminine mantles because that's another thing that's also kind of hated and feared and can be labeled as as witchcraft or witchiness. I would say a common theme in a lot of portrayals of witchcraft is a sense of sisterhood. So femininity is also part of the community of witches. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's about women being women and how that can be scary, powerful, or mystical to people. But it's also about women relating to each other in a way that isn't necessarily antagonistic as it normally would be in your patriarchal portrayals of women's relationships. The second irrefutable law of witchcraft is that the witch in question must practice magic. This is where we differentiate actual witches from the derogatory term of witches, because we can use the term witch as sort of just like a pejorative, negative statement about women that we don't like. It's a thing that happens, unfortunately people are bad. But just because you're good at science and math doesn't make you a witch. That just makes you good at science and math. To be a witch, you have to actually practice magic. That's, that's how that works. There needs to be some sort of supernatural element there. You need to be able to do things that are not explainable via science and, and logic. There needs to be something otherworldly about it. 
So the uh, the third law is demonstrates feminism. So this is gonna this obviously calls back to our first law of identifying as female and demonstrating feminism is an important law I think to talk about, which is for the same reason why identifying as female because the pursuit of feminism as a witch is something that is culturally and historically very intricately tied to our notions of witchcraft. In the 70s, there was a feminist group who took on the mantle of witch, which stood for them as Women's International Terrorist Conspiracy from Hell. They were a group of second wave feminists who used to have a lot of really fun movements and protests and really took the word and the label which in a fun and exciting direction. The fourth irrefutable law of witchiness is that they need to come from a place of persecution or misunderstanding. So this also ties into witches being sometimes considered a derogatory term for women, where historically people who were considered to be witches were often shunned or run out of town or burned at the stake, horrible things like that because society at large fears them and goes after them in horrible ways. And also, it just makes for more compelling stories. Nobody wants to hear about a person who uses magic and everything's hunky-dory. That just makes you a cool lady. To be a witch, you have to be struggling against something. You have to have something that you're trying to get away from. You have to be disappointing somebody somewhere. The best witches we find are ones who have that background of having been persecuted at some point. The fifth law of witchery is that the witch in question is bonded to a sentience larger than themselves. So this one in particular for me feels necessary because of the historical context of witches. In general, you're talking about women who were accused of cohorting with the devil or something like that. But in general, it kind of calls back to all of our other laws, which is being misunderstood, possibly being aligned to a non-traditional religious practice, possibly not wanting to align with the larger overcultures, religious practices because of something like an inherent sense of feminism. And it's also interesting from a fictional standpoint because being bonded to a larger sentience allows the witch to have her power being interacting with or governed by or influenced by something bigger, something larger. And it also opens up the discussion for modern practitioners of witchcraft who are actually who are nonfiction, who are living in our world today. People who ascribe to the Wiccan traditions, people who are ceremonial magicians. So there is an opportunity there to open it up, to, not only to fiction but to nonfiction as well. Should we want to go there? And we use that term sentience in a deliberately vague fashion, because sometimes that will be represented as a god or deity where they are directly communing with a human-like godly creature who is lending them power. Sometimes they're bonded with nature itself, a planet of some sort. Sometimes they're bonded with a swamp, and the swamp has a mind of its own, and they pull their power from that. There are all sorts of greater... Powers. Living powers 
that they can pull that energy from, that they can commune with for advice. It doesn't need to necessarily be a god, but it can be. So those are the five laws that we're going to be using every episode to help us determine how witchy each witch is witching. Can you be a witch without checking all five of those boxes? Maybe. Sure. Why not? We're not going to tell you no. Also, these laws allow us to discuss the witch in question from a wide variety of angles, and it gives us a rubric to take a look at what they are and who they are and what they do within their individual context, but also give them a common ground, because the witches that we're going to be talking about aren't necessarily coming from the same media. It gives us like a common thread she's a witch she's a witch she's a witch so we've talked about our laws and you may be wondering what makes you qualified to make up these laws of witchiness what kind of background do you have in witchcraft and so derek i would like to pose this question to you what kind of background do you have in being witchy well my mom is a witch she has been for my whole life at least for a large percentage of her life she tells me all the time that she's a witch she has told me since grade school and and she is the type of witch where she pulls her power from nature and so that is why the sentience is important to me i myself have always felt bonded to that sort of energy in the world, but I myself am not a practicing witch. Have you ever been to a circle or to a ritual? I have, but not in years. Um, I was way more into it in my teens and 20s. Now that I'm in my 30s and I'm an old, decrepit man, I should probably get back into it to sort of get my youthful luster back. And hope, hopefully these conversations will uh, re-inspire that, that side of me. How about you, Regina? Tell us about your witchy background. Oh, my witchy background is uh, is vast and varied. I have always been interested in witches, either fictional, folkloric, or literal. I have studied ceremonial magic. I've studied um, philosophies of witchcraft and Western esotericism in general, witchcraft specifically. I've practiced with Wiccan groups. I've done a lot of research on both right and left-hand path occult practices. And I'm also really interested in the like I said, the folkloric perspective on witchcraft, because a lot of cultures all around the world have history and lore about witches. So yeah, I'm like really into this stuff. And I'm also into fictional witches that we're going to talk about that are a lot more exciting than my background in being, being a witch. Yeah. yeah, of the two of us, you're the one more likely to bring up historical witches. I'm the one more likely to bring up Nintendo characters. Yes. But we do have crossover in one very important media, which is the X-Men. Oh, yes. We have a lot of crossover there, and we'll talk a lot about those witches at some point. You and I have had many a lunch where we just ramble about our favorite X-Men storylines, and yes. we'll get there. We'll get there. But we have lots and lots of witches to cover, and it's going to be a lot of fun, I think. I think so, too. So the first episode of Witch, Witches, Witch is available right now from the same place you found this episode, probably. Just in time for Halloween, we talk about the Sandersons from the film Hocus Pocus and the Spellmans from Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And as we look for our sign-off, Regina pages through her encyclopedia of spells and finds... <laughs> 
while I have uh, the egg diagnostic spell. So uh, gently rub a whole raw egg. The original spell suggests a freshly laid egg all over the ailing person's naked body. Break the egg in the dish. Whatever forms are assumed by the egg or the broken shell will reveal causes of illness, diagnosis, and or advice on how to get rid of it or cure it. So new episodes of Which Witch is Witch will be out every other Thursday. <laughs> Provide your own fresh eggs. Podcasts can't do that. What's that saying? Like, if you want to make an omelet, you got to break some eggs. If you want to run a diagnostic, you got to break some eggs. I don't know. I think I saw an episode of Grey's Anatomy about that. Yes. Yeah.